Last week, we discussed in some detail the nature and experience of piti, or rapture, which is the fourth of the factors of awakening. Piti is usually translated as rapture, as joy, as happiness, as rapt interest or pleasurable interest or delight. So it has all of that emotional affect or tone in the mind. As a reminder of how PT comes about, the Buddha described in the Anapanasati Sutta, the mindfulness of breathing, he described the sequence this way. Working backwards, rapture arises from tireless energy. Energy comes about through investigation and inquiry. It's the wisdom factor. And the factor of truth-discerning wisdom, or the factor of investigation, comes about through continuous mindfulness. So just to go the other way, mindfulness, continuous mindfulness leads to investigation, the wisdom factor. Investigation and inquiry leads to the arising of energy in the mind, this momentum of energy. Tireless energy in the mind leads to rapture. In addition to this very powerful conditioned sequence of factors, of wholesome factors, there are also some wise reflections that can bring about strong PT, rapture, happiness in the mind. And last time we touched on these in discussing the reflections on the Buddha, on the Dhamma, on the Sangha. And it's important, both in hearing of this and in practicing it, not to think of it in a formulaic way you know, where we go through the recitation about the qualities of the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha. The purpose of the reflection is to make that heart connection with the Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha. Make that connection with these three jewels in our practice and in our lives. There's tremendous depth and range and scope for exploration in those reflections. So tonight I'd like to consider some other reflections that also give rise to piti or delight, rapture in the mind. And perhaps at the end of this time we can have some questions and discussion. So the first of these reflections we'll talk about tonight is the reflection on one's sila, or morality, or moral virtue. Now sometimes we hear those words, moral virtue, and because of the various kinds of upbringing or conditioning we might have, we may have some unfortunate connotations with those words. You know, maybe taking them or associating them with a kind of self-righteousness or moralistic frame of mind. 
I think it's helpful to hone in in a more neutrally and perhaps more specific meaning of sila. And that is the reflecting on sila really means reflecting on our commitment to non-harming. I think that's much less controversial. You know, we can all reflect and remember that this can be our basic commitment in life, that we go through life committed as best we can to non-harming. And for lay people, this is usually expressed within the Buddhist tradition in terms of the five precepts or the eight precepts. So how do we reflect on sila? I'll tell you one way not to reflect on it. Quite a few years ago, when I was practicing in Burma and was going through a doldrum in my practice, it just felt like everything hit a place of the practice not going any place. Day after day after day, I was kind of going through the same thing over and over again. And it was getting a little discouraging. So at one point, I went into an interview and I was reporting this to Saito Upandita, and he said, well, why don't you reflect on your sila? Thinking that it would uplift my mind and create some rapture. Well, the first thought in my mind when he said, why don't you reflect on your sila is, what did I do wrong? You know, so my mind immediately turned to guilt for some imagined uh, uh, mishap, sila mishap. That's not what's meant. Reflecting on sila is to reflect on all the times and the ways we live our life in accordance with non-harming. So we can do it in a couple, a couple of ways. One is by thinking of and reflecting on the beauty and the power in particular moments of restraint from unwholesome action. So just as a few examples, might be a particular moment when we protect life rather than destroy it. Little thing. Maybe we take an insect outside instead of killing it. We can reflect on those moments when we refrain from some unwholesome speech that we might be about to say. You know, we can have the thought in the mind and have the intention and it's about to come out and then sila does its work and we remember, no, I don't have to say that. And there's a restraint, there's a pulling back from that unwholesome action. Or maybe we reflect on particular situations when we are acting with real integrity, particularly at times when that may be in conflict with our desires. You know, this is not infrequent. When our desire is telling us to do one thing, and yet the power and the beauty of sila reminds us, no, I don't have to do that. So when we reflect on these 
very specific moments of restraint from the unwholesome, right in the moment we do the reflection, it really does bring about a certain lightness in the mind, joy in the mind, happiness in the mind. So that's one way of reflecting on sila. At these times, we're paying attention to the feeling in the mind as we make the choices in our lives that are actually in accord with our highest values. You know, we have these values when we act in accord with them and we reflect on that. In those very moments of action, then rapture arises of some, of some kind. And there's another way of reflecting on one sila. And that's when we look back at our lives, not just in the moment of refraining from unwholesome action. When we look back at our lives, particularly from the time that we have made a conscious commitment to living in a spirit of non-harming, appreciating the fact that we've made a choice to live our lives in this way. Because not everybody in the world does, as is very obvious as we look around the world. So there's a, there's a feeling of great strength and this kind of dharma joy that we're aware enough and are committed enough to have made this decision. Yes, this is the way I aspire to live my life. In one verse of the Dhammapada, the Buddha said, happiness is virtue lasting through old age. You know, and it's a sense of a commitment that lasts throughout our lives that brings about a sense of joy. But it's also important to remember that the practice of sila is a training. These are not commandments. And that even after lapses in our commitment, which we all have, we can retake the precepts and begin again. So this enables us both to appreciate the times we have lived by the commitment and we can appreciate what we learn from the lapses in it. It makes our whole life part of our practice. So this is the first of the reflections that helps to bring about this quality of piti, or dhamma joy, reflecting in a clear and discerning way on the sila, the practice of sila in our lives. There's a line from a poem by Galway Cannell where he says, sometimes it's necessary to reteach a thing its loveliness. You know, and that's really what the practice of sila is about. We're reteaching ourselves our loveliness. 
We become conscious of this and we reflect on this. Another reflection that is a cause for PT to arise is the mind remembering one's acts of generosity. It's reflections on generosity. And sometimes, I think particularly for Westerners, I don't know if it's the same in Asia or not, but for Westerners, this reflection on generosity is often a difficult thing to do because it's easy to confuse it and get it mixed up with feelings of ego, pride, and conceit. You know, we just hear the the idea or the suggestion, well, reflect on your generosity. We may be a little uneasy about that, thinking, well, that's just going to increase the sense of pride or self-importance. But there is a way to do it that is extremely skillful. So just think for a moment of how you feel when you reflect on other people's generosity. When we're aware of the generous acts of other people and we're open to it, it generally brings about a great sense of delight because it is such a beautiful quality. You know, it's easy for us to appreciate it in other people. Well, we can turn that same appreciation toward the quality of generosity in ourselves. It's not about ego, and it's not about self-importance. It's about honoring and having a tremendous delight in the nature of that quality, the nature of giving, the nature of generosity. We can appreciate it in our own minds as well as in the minds of others. And one of the most beautiful examples of this, and I learned a lot in this situation, was in the monasteries in Burma, where each meal is offered, and people will come, either it's one person, or a family, or a group of families, or sometimes a small village. You know, the people would come and offer the food to the monks and nuns and lay people practicing, and then they would sit in the room You know, just being there as we ate. And you just see the delight and the faith and the piti, the the kind of dharma joy that these people who were making this offering were experiencing just in being there and experiencing their act of generosity and the fruit of their generosity, the benefit it was bringing to other people. And it really, it was just a way of opening up to the fact that we don't need to be so self-conscious about it if we are understanding it as a beautiful quality of mind, whether it's in ourselves or in other people. And it's the quality we're appreciating, the quality we take joy in. So as an experiment, as a way of reflecting on one's generosity. Just think back in your life to times, particular moments, particular situations or actions, 
where you have been where you've been generous, either in a small way or in a very big way. And think back, what were your initial thoughts, you know, as you were thinking about giving? What did that feel like? What did it feel like as you actually gave, as you made the connection with that person? What did it feel like afterwards? You know, when you thought about and you remembered having done this. It's a very uplifting uh, reflection. You know, we, we feel good about the wholesome action that we've done. Now, the reflection gladdens the heart. It it gladdens our heart and is the cause for piti to arise. With these skillful actions, both of sila, actions of restraint from the unwholesome, and actions of generosity, We have the inner sense and the inner feeling which is expressed by the word we chant at at the end of the metta chant and is is used often in Buddhist cultures, sadhu, 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 which means well done. And so just think of what it would be like to sit and whether it's in reference to a specific action or in reference to the commitment over a lifetime. Just think of what it would feel like to say, well done. This was well done. There's a tremendous dharma joy that comes from that. This is reflection on sila, reflection on generosity. A third reflection that gives rise to rapture in the mind is reflecting on devas. Now, these are beings in the higher realms of existence. You know, and they're beings as they're described with bodies of light and enjoying many different kinds of celestial happiness. And before we go on in this reflection, it's important to remember that within the Buddhist understanding, Devas are not gods enjoying some eternal bliss, eternal reward. They are still very much on the wheel of conditioned existence, subject to the law of karma, the law of cause and effect, to rebirth in different realms. But for the time that their lifespan is in these deva worlds, they do enjoy many kinds of bliss. So when the Buddha would meet people and begin teaching them, it said that he very often followed a sequence in the teaching. He would give them a graduated discourse, beginning with the happiness that comes from generosity and sila, and then talking about the delights of the deva worlds. So the Buddha... He used this as a skillful means, as a way of brightening the mind and uplifting the mind. And then when people's minds and hearts were open and pliable and soft, then the teachings of liberation 
teachings of non-clinging, of getting off this wheel of continuous rebirth. Now, for some people, jumping to the highest teachings works well. You know, okay, just let's go for the highest. For other people, and I think we shouldn't undervalue the skillful means of gradually softening our hearts, delighting our minds, because that kind of delight and joy and happiness then becomes a fertile field for the development of wisdom. So what is the reflection? How do we reflect on the devas in a way that brings joy and delight to the mind? One of the traditional reflections is understanding that there have been people in the past you know, who've possessed those wholesome qualities of the mind that resulted in rebirth in these heavenly realms. You know, in the suttas, there's whole collections of suttas. Uh, discourse of the Buddha, of the devas coming down and having, having dialogues with the Buddha. So this is very much in the classical teachings. You know, so we reflect, there have been people in the past who've had these wholesome states of mind, which resulted in rebirth in the deva worlds. And the reflection is, I also have these wholesome states of mind, which may result in these fortunate rebirths. These same qualities are in myself as well. Well, we hear this, and as Westerners, or people growing up in a Western society, we may not really believe in these deva realms. You know, it's not part of our Western scientific conditioning. And I remember times in India when Munindra would be my first teacher would be just talking about these realms and the bodies of light and the different kinds of heavenly pleasures. And I loved it. I mean, it really worked well for me. You know, I would just get very happy listening to all this and hearing about it. But a lot of the people, you know, a lot of my friends did, did not. They, they thought, this is just, you know, Buddhist cosmology that doesn't have much bearing on things. I remember what Munindra said. He would go on and on, and I'd be feeling really happy. But he'd see these other people, you know, with looks of great doubt. And he said, "You don't really have to believe this, you know, because we don't have to believe it. It's not ne- the belief in the devas is not necessary for awakening or enlightenment, and so there really is no need to believe it." He would go on to say, "It's true, but you don't have to believe it." <laughs> so. If it's a skillful reflection, reflect. And if it's not, you can just leave it. Now these reflections on sila, on generosity, on the devas, all highlight an important, subtle, 
an often misunderstood aspect of the Buddha's teachings. So I want to just focus in on this for a bit. And this has to do with the concept found throughout the teachings of what in Pali, the Pali word is punya, which is often translated as merit. So punya also means virtue, causes of good fortune. That's what the word punya means. In a couple of suttas, the Buddha described punya or merit as being the support for living beings. And in another description, which I find so uh, telling, he described merit or punya as the nutriments of happiness. And so if we want to feed happiness in our lives, we need to understand what punya or merit means. It's the nutriment of happiness. In one place, the Buddha described merit, the deeds of merit that one has done, as being the friends in one's future life. You know, because it's about understanding that wholesome deeds bring about wholesome, fortunate results. So although the Buddha spoke very often about the importance of merit, of punya, both for happiness in this life and, according to the teachings anyway, happiness in the next, there are some subtleties in how we hold this understanding in our minds. Because merit is of two kinds. There's merit that is aimed at mundane happiness, and merit that is aimed at liberation. So we need to understand how both of these are working. In the merit, the wholesome actions that are aimed at mundane happiness, we we perform these actions, they're skillful actions, but we perform them with a gaining idea. You know, it's a, we're performing it with a kind of grasping in the mind for future good result. There's a sense of self there being someone who will enjoy these results in the future. So this is merit. It's skillful action connected with mundane fruits, worldly fruits. But even this, even though there's a gaining idea there, it can still be done with right understanding. That is the understanding of cause and effect. It's the understanding that all of our volitional actions will bring about results. So there's a right view present there. And the Buddha talked of this. He he really... In in characteristic clarity, the Buddha talked of this as right view that is affected by taints, partaking of merit, ripening on the side of attachment. 
So it's an interesting combination of wholesome action, partaking of merit, but still associated with taints, still ripening on the side of attachment, right? of someone there who's going to experience this, some good result in the future life, and that that is very often what motivates us to do the skillful action. But it's important, even in this kind of merit, that we appreciate the right view that is present in it, which is the understanding, and this is a critical understanding of right view, that actions bring results. The Buddha emphasized this so often in his description of what right view is. There are karmic results to our volitional actions. Okay, so this is right view that is affected by taints, partaking of merit, ripening on the side of attachment. Merit for the purpose of mundane results. But there's also a deeper, more liberating kind of wisdom that's possible. As we build on this right view of cause and effect, so we already have that, even if it's associated at first with taints, but we build on that foundation of right view and begin to see that this whole process of cause and effect of action and result does not, in fact, refer to anyone, that it is simply a process of nature. We can understand it as being free of the notion of I and mine. So this is a deeper kind of right view. When we have this level of right view, then the motive behind our actions, behind our wholesome actions, is not for some gaining idea, but then the motive behind acts of generosity, the motive behind acts of sila, is not so that we will enjoy some good result. The motive becomes one of disenchantment, dispassion, liberating the mind through non-clinging. Really what's happening in a moment of generosity, we can have the motive instead of be performing the act for the good, happy result that it will bring, we can be doing that same action with the understanding that we are actually cultivating in that moment the mind of non-grasping. And that becomes our motive for doing it then. Do you see the difference? Now this is very important. The Buddha called this kind of right view noble, taintless, supramundane, a factor of the path. So they're both right view. But one ripens on the side of attachment and the other is a factor of the path of awakening. 
Uh, just one other little sidebar here. I think you're familiar with the teachings on the paramis, that is, those qualities that are considered perfections, the qualities that need to be brought to perfection for awakening. The wholesome actions, like generosity or like morality or the other perfections, only become the development of parami when the motive, the dedication, is for liberation, for non-grasping, for awakening. It's still a wholesome action. If we, if we act, if we do something generous, it, it's still a skillful action if we understand, oh yes, this is going to bring about rebirth in the deva worlds, you know, and we're looking forward to that. Well, it does bring about that result, but then that act of generosity is not the development of parami. That's a mundane result. So if we are inspired to develop the paramis in our lives, we need to understand this distinction of the different kinds of right view and really look at and investigate and understand what our motivation is behind the skillful action. So we want to understand merit, this idea of punya, in both of these ways. It's punya or merit dedicated to worldly result and punya or merit dedicated to awakening. In one collection of the suttas that's in the connected discourses, the Samyutta Nikaya, the Buddha equates what he calls the four streams of merit, the four fields of meritorious activity, with the four qualities of a stream enterer. That's the first stage of awakening. And so I just thought it was very interesting to bring these two together to see how the very same qualities that are the stream of merit can be either in the direction of mundane result or with the deeper wisdom of right view become the stream of awakening. And as you'll see from the few lines of the Buddha that I'm going to read, the effect of these streams of merit uh, are enormous. So this is from the Samyutta Nikaya. The Buddha said, when a bhikkhu, a noble disciple, and that is really all of us, as we've said at different times, bhikkhu in the broadest sense means one who is practicing for awakening. So it doesn't only refer to monks or nuns. When a bhikkhu, a noble disciple, possesses these four streams of merit, streams of the wholesome, 
it is not easy to take the measure of the merit thus. Just so much is the stream of merit, stream of the wholesome, nutriment of happiness. Rather, it is reckoned as incalculable, immeasurable, great mass of merit. So what are the four streams, the four qualities? They're faith and virtue and generosity and wisdom. As we cultivate faith or confidence, sila, generosity and wisdom, the merit of that, of those wholesome actions in the mind cannot be measured. And so just reflecting on this becomes a tremendous source of dharma joy, of rapture in the mind. So the last of the reflections that bring about PT, or dharma joy, is the reflection on peace. And that is the subsiding of the defilements. So notice the quality of peace in the mind when the mind is free of the hindrances or free of the defilements. And we can notice this with particular ease when we first come out of one of our many mind dramas. You know, maybe we're coming out, the moment of coming out of a lustful fantasy or coming out of some bout of annoyance, you know, or ill will. Or maybe it's just coming out of of just a few moments of desire or irritation. You know, when, when we can actually see the difference in our minds when we're caught up in any of these defilements or hindrances, And then the moment of coming out, we have a chance to appreciate, we have a chance to reflect on the quality of peace in the mind when the mind is let out of the grip of the defilement. So this is not theoretical at that time. We actually are right in the experience of being caught up and then being released. So we want to bring an investigation. We want to really have an inquiry in the mind when these states arise. How do we get caught up in them? And how does the release from them happen? And so we begin to taste what is called momentary freedom. There's still a long way to go, but we have a taste of what peace of mind means. And reflecting on this, so we're not just passing over those moments, we actually highlight those moments and look at them and reflect on it. It becomes a source of great inspiration for what's possible in our lives. Even if it is just momentary, we see what's possible and it inspires further understanding, deepening understanding. So reflection on peace 
is about this momentary freedom, and it also refers to the reflection on Nibbana. And even though we may not yet have realized Nibbana for ourselves, even reflecting on how the Buddha described it can bring about a quality of joy. Sometimes people get enlightened just hearing the words describing Nibbana. So listen carefully. (laughs) And there's a long list here, so there are many chances. But what's important, you know, just as you hear the words, it's not so much to think about them, but it's almost like, at least for a moment, embodying them. You know, what do each of the, those words mean for you, you know? at whatever our level of understanding is. So these are the words the Buddha used to describe Nibbana. The unborn. Now what does unborn mean? The unborn. The undying. The peaceful. the deathless, the deathless, what does that mean? The serene, the wonderful, the amazing, the unailing, the unafflicted, dispassion, this passion. Just think for a moment. The mind of dispassion, the mind of non-craving, purity, freedom. So reflecting just in whatever way we do, on these words which describe Nibbana, it does, it's tremendously uplifting just to reflect or consider or intuit what this experience is. And as you can see from that list of words, can, can understand it from so many different sides or angles or nuances. So it's the fourth factor of awakening, of piti, that fills us with this joy in the Dharma. You know, this Dharma delight, this lightness in the mind, this happiness in the mind. And it's very much this factor that inspires us to fulfill this great path of awakening. I'd just like to close with some lines from the Dhammapada. There are a few verses where the Buddha 
is just giving a list of what makes us happy. It's a, it's a happiness list. So it's a good thing to keep in mind. And some of it is just about our mundane, everyday lives, and some is about the deepest understanding. One of the the most beautiful aspects of the Buddhist teachings for me is just the seamless integration of the Dharma. It's about how we live our lives and how we are in relationship and how we understand our minds and whether there's grasping or not grasping. It's about everything. It's about the totality of our lives. So the Buddha said, happiness is having friends when need arises. Happiness is contentment with whatever there is. Happiness is merit at the end of one's life. Happiness is the abandoning of all suffering. In the world, respect for one's mother is happiness, as is respect for one's father. Happiness is virtue, lasting through old age. Happiness is steadfast faith. Happiness is the attainment of wisdom. Not doing the unskillful is happiness. Let's just sit abiding in happiness for a few moments. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.